Good morning. It is Kale and Company live for this, the morning after. Kale and Company presented by Northeast Delta Dental. Northeast Delta Dental has individual and family plans designed to fit your lifestyle. Learn more and find your plan at nedelta.com or Delta Dental Covers Me. Dot com. Lots of people still rubbing the sleep from their eyes on this Wednesday morning as a result of staying up perhaps a little bit too late uh, last night watching the election returns. One of them may be Anna Brown, uh, Director of Research and Analysis at Citizens Count, citizenscount.org. Uh, good morning, Anna. Good morning to you, Ken Kale, and a uh, nice, bright, sunny morning. I Gonna hope it wakes me up a little bit. Well, I'm, I'm sure you stayed up into the wee small hours of Wednesday morning following the election results, which still are far from complete at this hour. Correct. So we definitely have a clear picture of what's happening at the governor level, the federal level. So we have Sununu winning, Hassan winning, Pappas winning, Custer winning. Those races have all been settled, or the opponents at any rate have conceded. But when we're looking down at the state level and the state house race in particular, there are so many towns that I'm waiting to get those those finalized, yes, this is official results. And that's partly because of the new law that requires hand counting of overvoted ballots. So ballots where someone marks too many bubbles, whether it's an accidental mark or they just counted wrong or what have you. And also writing candidates, which we know some people were purposefully writing in candidates to force hand counting which is going to result in those lower results. So the state house race I'm watching right now looks very close. I'm not ready to say yet whether it's going to go blue or it's going to go red. Wow. It is that close, huh? Wow. Well, and what's interesting is that when I'm looking at the results that are coming in, there are some notable flips from red to blue in those state house races. So Meredith, for example, went to Trump in the 2020 election. He won that presidential election, have an all-Republican delegation currently, but Democrat Matthew Coker won one of those House seats, okay? We also looked to Allenstown, went to Trump in 2020, and a Republican seat is flipping to Democrat Alan Turcott. Epping went to Trump in 2020, has a full Republican delegation, and now it's bringing in Democrat Mark Vallone. So those moments where you see those towns that it was red in 2020, it has a current, you know, state House delegation that's red, it's surprising to see those Dem pickups. And, and that's why I think, you know, when we're looking at that final breakdown, it could end up being so close, despite what, you know, many pollsters were saying. And and what do you feel is the reason for the for the turnover? Well, this is going to be a question that is talked about probably for weeks going forward. I think there are a few possibilities that I can throw out there, but then we'll have to wait to see, like, what data backs it up. So, for example, it's possible that Democrats were just much more motivated to get off their butts and get to the polls than Republicans. Maybe when we're looking back, those issues around abortion, around ballot access, around maybe some of the divisive concepts laws that so-called divisive concepts tried to ban a critical race theories in schools, you know, maybe that really motivated the Democratic base. Or alternatively, maybe independents were really swayed by the arguments of Democrats that, look, Republicans have been in control in New Hampshire for a few years. We have really high electricity bills. Let's try something new. You know, there's there's also the national factor. Could it be that this is really a pushback against Donald Trump, you know, who is who is still such an influence in the Republican Party? So I see local local issues, you know, when we're looking at electricity bills and even 
candidates who have served in local offices before, all the way up to those national factors of, of Donald Trump and, and overall, you know, how are people viewing the direction of this country? And it's, you know, I'm going to wait to see, you know, how many ballots were cast by Democrats, by Republicans, by independents before I can really say which of those themes is probably the biggest factor. Now, you talk about uh, ballot access, and, and New Hampshire does not really have early voting per se. No, New Hampshire had uh, a brief time during the COVID-19 pandemic where everyone could do that no-excuse absentee ballot. So right. you could basically vote by mail, but that was a one-time shot. Yep. So this time around, everyone had to show up in person at the polls unless you had a specific excuse ahead of time, such as you knew you were going to be traveling for business, you're serving in the military overseas, something like that. What, what about the, uh, the state Senate race? How, how is that uh, shaping up? So it looks like it's going to be a 14-10 split with 14 Republicans and 10 Democrats, which is what we're going to have, what we already have now, I should say. And this is not terribly surprising since the districts were redrawn in 2022 based on the most recent census, and they do really favor Republicans the way they are drawn. They cluster Democratic voters in those 10 districts and then gives a slight red lean to the other 14. That's still, though, given once again, given the red wave that people saw coming, I, you know, I've talked to some, not without naming names, I talked to some, you know, analysts and pundits before the election, and they were thinking it was going to be more like a 16-8 split, a 15-9 split, that Republicans were going to have that even larger majority in the state Senate. So I think 14-10 shows that Democrats were performing very well. And I'm still looking at the races in District 11 and District 12. District 11 is Gary Daniels versus Shannon Chandley. District 12 is Kevin Avard versus... Melanie Levesque, these are rematches. These are candidates who have run successful campaigns in the past. And the vote totals are still running close enough that until everything is finalized, they've dotted all the I's and crossed all the T's. I'm not going to rule out one of those maybe squeaking out in a recount or something and, and going blue. Wow. So we shall uh, see what happens. We're, we're still, uh, uh, you know, unsure whether there'll be a uh, Republican majority again in the House, as you just mentioned, uh, Anna. But it does appear clear that there will be a Republican majority in the New Hampshire State Senate. So uh, that is, is pretty well taken care of. I, I want to get some of your other uh, takeaways from the results yesterday uh, in New Hampshire. But but first, are we, are we certain yet that it was a record midterm turnout? I have not seen the latest numbers from the Secretary of State. But all last night, all of the towns that I saw, you know, where the final vote totals were posted on Twitter, for example, it was breaking records. It was breaking records in many towns even earlier in the day before polls closed. So I'm going to have to wait for that final result from the Secretary of State. I haven't seen it yet this morning, but I would not be at all surprised because also the weather was on our side. This is the thing that I you can never forget <laughs> when it comes to voting. Simple things yep. like the weather right. can have a huge impact on outcomes. And I think beautiful sunny day, not too cold. Plenty of people were happy to get in their cars and put that ballot in the ballot box. No doubt about it. Long lines from uh, very early on uh, in the morning on Tuesday, and it's it's great to see people uh, getting out, and certainly the weather is, uh, is always a factor on uh, Election Day. But New Hampshire, a state now where you know, the governor is Republican and has been now uh, for, for quite some time. Uh, the House, well, let's, we're, we're waiting to see where the balance of power is there, whether it's going to be a Republican or, or Democratic uh, House of Representatives in New Hampshire. The Senate will still be a Republican majority, but our entire congressional delegation is all 
Democrat. Is is that split unusual, or do we see it in, in other states around the country? It's somewhat unusual. New Hampshire voters definitely like to split their tickets. They, I think it's that strong independent streak. We definitely have that huge block, roughly a third of voters, who are undeclared, registered basically as independents. Although, it's, you know, technically you don't have a party, you're undeclared, but you're an independent. And I think that that is reflected in the ticket splitting that we've seen this election. We saw it last election where all of the federal races went blue, all of the state races went red. And ultimately, I do have to throw out there once again, district redistricting is going to impact that a little bit. It's very hard for Democrats to win the state Senate or the executive council in particular. There is a lawsuit that's before the state Supreme Court about whether it actually takes away uh, voting rights for Democrats because it favors Republicans to that extent. So that's, that's going to be a factor, too. Um, but in general, let's talk about how much Sununu won by as well, okay? What was it? Close to 70%, I think. He's uh, just a, an absolute juggernaut in terms of his popularity. And so that right there tells you, you know, completely blue federal de- delegation, very strongly behind Sununu. Another interpretation, of course, could be that that is also partly about people rejecting sort of the, I guess I would call it the Trump brand of republicanism versus this new new brand of republicanism, because once again, we saw that all the candidates endorsed by Trump in New Hampshire did not succeed at the federal level. Right. And we're talking about uh, General Don Bolduck, uh, who lost to Maggie Hassan last night and Caroline Levitt, who worked in the uh, Trump administration, uh, losing out to the uh, incumbent uh, Chris Pappas, even though uh, some felt that the redistricting in, in Division One might uh, might help uh, Caroline Levitt. It's true, and I think that when we look at the results of that race in particular, I'm a little surprised it wasn't closer. When we looked at the polls that were coming up leading to the election, there was a shift among undeclared independent voters towards the right, towards Caroline Levitt. But as the results are coming in, it's it's not even really close between Pappas and Levitt. She conceded around midnight, which compared to the primary and some of the tight races in the primary was, was fairly early as far as I was concerned. So, yeah, you know, people thought that District 1 was going to help her, but it ended up really being, you know, all about Pappas being in his being on his home state territory. Our guest is Anna Brown, Director of Research and Analysis at Citizens Count, citizenscount.org. Check it out right now if you are if you have access to your phone or a, uh, a computer or iPad. Uh, look at citizenscount.org. And Anna, uh, can you stay with us for a few more minutes? Because we still have a lot to discuss here. Absolutely. All right. We'll be right back. Kale and Company live here on WKXL. 103.9 in the Capital Region, 101.9 FM in Manchester and beyond, 14.50 on the AM dial, and streaming around the world, around the clock, at nhtalkradio.com. Back with Anna Brown right after these messages. Welcome back. It's Kale and Company live here on WKXL and nhtalkradio.com. And happy to have Anna Brown with us. She is the Director of Research and Analysis at Citizens Count, citizenscount.org, and on Facebook and all over the place, Anna. And uh, so glad you could spend some time with us uh, this morning. Still uh, a number of racers to be decided in New Hampshire as far as uh, the House of Representatives is concerned and uh, even the State Senate. Uh, but uh, the uh, governor, uh, Governor Sununu, will uh, be in office for another two years. We're certain of that now. And 
our uh, congressional delegation will remain all uh, Democrat. The uh, Trump factor, you mentioned that. Uh, Trump, uh, you know, uh, endorsed Caroline Levitt and, and uh, Don Bolduck. He endorsed a number of candidates throughout the country. Uh, some were winners, some were losers. Uh, but it, it, I think it, it had a, a definite impact and, and maybe not in a totally positive way. There's definitely a narrative that I'm seeing emerge when I'm reading the news and the analysts this morning that Trump may have been what sort of crushed that alleged red wave that was coming. There's this feeling that he is not helping the Republican Party right now because he is such a polarizing figure who is really, I mean, at this point, you know, he's associated with all sorts of criminal cases, let alone everything that happened on January 6th. And so it will be interesting to see how this affects the alleged announcement he was going to be making. Many people were speculating he was going to be saying, yes, I'm running for president again. You know, if since now he hasn't had this great wave of candidates he's endorsed winning, is that going to make him put it off, maybe? Is it going to maybe increase momentum around candidates like Ron DeSantis, who, as far as I can tell, is really the only Republican who has been regularly floated as a possible alternative to Donald Trump in 2024 for the Republican Party? And yeah, I think that Republicans probably need to to pivot and, and look at that and think about how that is maybe not working for them in terms of winning seats. Well, as you said, the so-called red wave, which uh, people have been talking about for months now, if not years, uh, did not really happen. I mean, we still don't know uh, what the balance of power in Washington is going to be. Still uh, a number of races undecided in the Senate uh, and in the House of Representatives, although it does appear right now that uh, it, it will be a Republican majority in the House at this point. Is that what you're hearing? That is what I'm hearing. It'll be a narrow majority for Republicans in the House. And then the Senate right now looks like it's going to be almost completely evenly split again. And as we saw over the last two years, even though Democrats technically had that one seat majority, you know, it, that, that doesn't really matter when the filibuster comes into play. And a lot of these more controversial issues were blocked in the Senate. So I think that's going to be a similar scenario we look at for the next two years. Even if Republicans do technically have that majority in the Senate, they're not really going to be able to make any sweeping changes because the filibuster is going to be in play. And then, of course, President Biden's going to be in play. He has that veto power. So even if a bill sails through both the federal House and Senate, he could just nix the whole thing. And then there won't be a supermajority in Congress to override that veto. So I definitely think we're looking at, despite, you know, Republicans maybe taking the House, I, I don't think we're looking at, you know, really big changes coming over the next two years. I think it'll be a lot of gridlock and a lot of frustration, probably. And I can't believe I'm saying it, but I'm already <laughs> thinking ahead to the next election cycle and wondering to myself how that gridlock will be spun. You know, is, is it Republicans shutting down the... Democrat agenda and protecting our country, or is it Republicans completely blocking any forward progress, failing to accomplish anything, even if they get the majority? You know, you can sort of imagine the stories that are going to be spun because, like I said, either way it goes, I don't think there's going to be a lot of legislative success. I don't think there's going to be a lot of compromise when you're looking at such tight partisan splits. Yeah. And I think, uh, 
I think Wall Street kind of likes a, a split like this because very little can be accomplished. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's true that uh, Elon Musk on Twitter told everyone to vote for Republicans in Congress because divided government is better, you know, when you have the Democratic Party in the president's office. I, I don't know if that's true. My, my, I know my dad used to always laugh about how the first words of the Constitution were, Congress shall make no law, and the idea that gridlock is sort of built into our nation. But then again, you know, you look at measures of partisanship and that lack of partisan compromise on issues, and it's at all-time highs. And if the federal government isn't doing anything, I think that I just got to throw out that pitch there for New Hampshire, for my organization, Citizens Count, which is all about getting granite faders engaged and say, hey, it's time for state governments to step up and get the job done, whatever it is. Yeah, and I think they are definitely engaged. I think the turnout would uh, reflect that. Uh, yesterday, uh, it was uh, you know a, a great turnout, I, I think approaching 600,000 people in this state, which is just uh, unbelievable, uh, especially for a midterm election. But I think everybody uh, realizes the importance of uh, yesterday's election and what it can mean uh, moving forward, although we did not see, uh, you know, in, in many cases, the results that uh, most expected. Now, uh, switching over to a topic that you, uh, you approached uh, just a few minutes ago, Ron DeSantis in Florida, Governor DeSantis uh, won a resounding uh, victory along with uh, Senator Marco Rubio, and uh, they they were both they both dominated Dade County in in South Florida, which has been a, a Democratic stronghold for many many years. So so what do you see happening in the Sunshine State? I think what's happening is major demographic shifts during and after the COVID nineteen pandemic. I think that's another factor I didn't bring up earlier when I'm talking about New Hampshire. We know we had a record number of people moving into the state over the past two years. And there was lots of speculation about what their impact might be. Were those people coming from, say, Massachusetts who were looking for less COVID-19 restrictions, so that's why they came to New Hampshire? Or was it highly educated people from, say, New York City who tend to vote more liberal, more Democrat? So, I think that Republicans definitely were moving to Florida. I think it's become a bit of a, an iconic state for the Republican Party right now. So I was not terribly surprised to hear that happening. I am not fully versed in all of the politics that are going on down there. I believe there's also controversy about um, how elections are being held. I, I know that Ron DeSantis was resisting some federal oversight of elections down there. So that also adds a partisan factor. But that's, you know, the COVID-19 pandemic has changed many, many, many things. And I think it's easy to forget about because <laughs> it's, you know, it's, it was such a huge change that I think it's hard to grasp in our minds. It's easy to get caught in the weeds of whatever else we're seeing. But I think that was a major factor in a lot of the election results that we're going to be seeing throughout the day. Do you think what happened uh, yesterday in, in Florida with Ron DeSantis winning that, uh, that big victory uh, and uh, especially uh, dominating in a county that uh, has not been uh, certainly dominated by Republicans uh, in the past, is he right now the, the clear Republican frontrunner for the presidential nomination in 2024? Besides Donald Trump, as I said, he's the only one who I've heard regularly thrown about with a name. I know that Liz Cheney has said, you know, she wouldn't rule out 
a 2024 run, but that would sort of be an antagonistic run since so many of the people, people in the Republican Party argue that she turned her back on the party when she participated in the January 6th hearings in Congress, basically saying Donald Trump started an insurrection. So, you know, her candidacy, I'm not sure I can put it in the same bucket as Ron DeSantis. It would be a very different candidacy if she decided to run. And since we're in New Hampshire, I do feel obliged to throw out there. Governor Sununu talks about, you know, he's he's focused on New Hampshire. He's focused on right now. But he does a lot of appearance on national news oh, talk yeah. shows and yeah. a lot of traveling around the country. And I think that this election in particular, he really tried to create a new brand of republicanism. He endorsed more moderate candidates, for example, George Hansel in the 2nd District, who did lose his primary, Chuck Morse in the U.S. Senate race, who did lose his primary. So who knows? I wouldn't rule out Governor Sununu. I would not rule him out. No, exactly. And he did not rule himself out last night either. He had a little uh, go with uh, David Muir of ABC that I saw late uh, late last night. And uh, David Muir tried his best to press him about uh, 2024, but uh, the governor would, uh, you know, would, would not uh, confirm nor deny uh, his candidacy for the uh, the uh, Oval Office in, in 2024. Anna, I hate to ask, but do you have a few more minutes? I do. All right. Well, great. Anna Brown is with us, Director of Research and Analysis at Citizens Count, citizenscount.org. Kale & Company presented by Northeast Delta Dental. They have individual and family plans designed to fit your lifestyle. Learn more and find your plan at anydelta.com or Delta Dental Covers Me. More with Anna Brown coming up right after these words on WKXL and NHTalkRadio.com. Kale and Company live here on this Wednesday, the morning after. There's got to be a morning after, as the old song used to go. Anna Brown is with us from Citizens Count, citizenscount.org. She is the Director of Research and Analysis and analyzing uh, the election from uh, yesterday. It looks like uh, Joe Biden could be uh, the, the most successful midterm president in a long time in terms of not losing as many House or Senate seats as uh, many predicted. Here's the thing, though. Can we really thank President Biden for that when we also know that he has some really bad <laughs> approval ratings right now? I, I can't I don't have the polls right in front of me, but I know that he has been really getting a drubbing in terms of those approval ratings. And so I think that's part of what makes the lack of a red wave even more remarkable, since that you are absolutely correct that in midterms, the president in power usually loses members of his thus far his, no her, but theoretically his or her own party at the congressional level. So that's when I go back to, you know, what are those other factors at play? You know, resistance against the Trump brand of republicanism, for example, um, the abortion issue. That's something that we haven't talked about yet today. Right. It was certainly a message that was being pushed very hard by the Democratic candidates. But I'm not sure, you know, I think that definitely played a role around the United States. I think that we'll have to talk to voters and analyze more of the data from the election to know how much it played in New Hampshire, because towards, you know, the, the, the last month of the race, both Caroline Levitt and Don Bolduc were adamant that they would not vote 
for federal legislation restricting abortion. So either that did not stick with voters or voters were voting blue or, or for other reasons. But it would seem nationally that abortion really turned the tide, don't you think? I mean, that was that was the number one issue that uh, turned things around, I think, from have it been a, a red wave, as, as many did predict uh, many months ago. It definitely changed the landscape for sure. And you saw that in polls where people were asked about the most important issue for them hitting, heading into the elections. After the overturning of Roe v. Wade with the Dobbs ruling from the U.S. Supreme Court, abortion surged as a really important issue right up there with inflation. And depending on whether you were talking to a Democrat or Republican, abortion was often behind inflation as the most important issue, but it was still right up there. And so that's another issue when I'm looking at the turnout, when I'm looking at the overall statistics. Is it possible that we saw uh, more women getting to the polls, a larger share of women getting to the polls this year because they were particularly motivated by that issue? And it is true that on the whole, women are more likely to vote Democrat than men, partly because of that issue, I believe. Yeah. So uh, on another topic, early voting, we touched on that. Some states have it, some states don't, but uh, it's having an impact, I I think, on a number of the uh, results around the country, especially in Pennsylvania, uh, where you look at it and uh, there were over a million ballots already cast before that debate uh, took place a couple of weeks ago. Uh, between John Fetterman and Dr. Oz. Uh, a lot of those uh, ballots might have gone in another direction had they been able to see the debate, which took place, obviously, after they cast their ballots. How, how much of an impact is early voting uh, having on some of the elections across the country? Oh, I think early voting and no-excuse absentee voting definitely can have significant shifts in election outcomes, specifically, as you noted, because often it'll happen before key news events, whether it's a debate or a sudden scandal or, a, you know, someone says something in an interview that no, it blows everybody's mind, you know. So I think that it's going to continue to be a factor in all of the, the states going forward, except obviously New Hampshire, because we don't have early voting. We don't have no excuse absentee balloting. Although I will say it'll be interesting to see if Democrats do squeak out a majority in the New Hampshire House if they're going to bring that issue forward again, because it's super controversial right now. You know, Republicans argue that this is a door to open us to election fraud. Democrats argue this is all about making it more accessible for voters. So it's a controversial issue, but it has been a priority for Democrats in the past. Is that something they're going to try to bring forward in New Hampshire again? There's usually always a bill that looks to do it in New Hampshire, but the question is whether Democrats would prioritize that if they get control of the House. Yeah, and uh, how, how do you see it going uh, in New Hampshire, uh, you know, in, in terms of uh, perhaps getting early voting in the future? I think that New Hampshire very much prides itself on doing <laughs> pretty old school forms of voting. And frankly, yeah. our vote counting machines are so old that they're going to need to be retired just because they won't be able to get repairs on these machines anymore. And there were a couple districts that were actually trying out new voting machines in 2022 in New Hampshire because these machines are going to need, need to be replaced. So I, I think that we're very committed to our paper ballots. I think we're very committed to uh, that one day of voting with same-day voter registration. And while Republicans have added additional verification requirements, I, I just don't see, there doesn't seem to be a really strong appetite in New Hampshire 
for early voting, for mail-in voting. I'm not saying it's impossible, but I'm certainly saying it's highly unlikely, especially while Governor Sununu has that veto pen in hand. Yeah. So what what is the split now uh, nationwide? I mean, uh, do the majority of, of states now have early voting? Oh, gosh. You know what? I'm You're calling me out, and I'm going <laughs> to tell you straight out, I do not know. <laughs> I could certainly look it up. I'm, I If I had to throw out a wild guess, I, I think like maybe like one-third to one-half off, offer either no excuse absentee or early voting. But, yeah, gosh, fact check me for sure on that no, if I, you're listening at home. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we haven't had a chance to talk, Anna, since uh, uh, Tulsi Gabbard uh, renounced uh, her affiliation with the Democratic Party and uh, endorsed uh, General Bolduck. Uh, what about Tulsi Gabbard's future uh, in politics? Is there any for Tulsi? I think there's potentially a future for Tulsi Gabbard, but I do think it's difficult when you've renounced one party and are moving towards another because realistically, Republicans will probably always see her as slightly democratic, you know, and she, so she, and, but then she's also lost all of that infrastructure in terms of fundraising and other campaign support from Democrats. So it's a tricky position to be in. I can't remember off the top of my head any candidate switching parties and being really greatly successful. I mean, we even have examples here in New Hampshire. Uh, Dr. Bill Marsh, who was a state representative, switched from Republican to Democrat over the COVID-19 pandemic, and he mounted a state Senate campaign against long-term Republican State Senator Jeb Bradley, and it looks like he is definitely going to lose. So it's it's hard, I think, when you when you switch parties to really have that full support that you need as a presidential candidate. She's, she's certainly very charismatic, but I think a lot of people might view her as a little risky when you're looking at from that fundraising side. Yeah. Uh, there's been some talk by, by journalists mostly about the you know, possibility going forward of a hybrid ticket uh, with a Republican and an independent uh, as, uh, you know, as running mates and, and so on. Uh, do you see that? Is there any future in that? I think that there could be a future for that if the nominees are President Trump <laughs> former President Trump and President Biden, because we're in a situation where both of those candidates are very polarizing at the moment. You know, President Biden is dealing with very low approval ratings. We've already talked about former President Trump and all of the baggage that comes with that. So if that was the scenario, and which is just, you know, I think voters would feel very much sort of betrayed <laughs> by a lack of, a, of alternatives, then that might open the door. But the real tricky part to running a third party campaign or a split ticket where you have a Republican for president, Democrat for vice president or vice versa, Democrat for president, Republican for vice president, you'd have to get on the ballot individually in each state according to their individual ballot access laws. So that might be a certain number of signatures, a certain filing fees. Um, other paperwork deadlines that are very early that that could maybe even have passed in some states by this point. So I think that that is a really high hurdle that would close the door, unfortunately, to almost any split ticket or sort of unconventional candidates like that. You know, uh, we saw in the uh, latter days of the uh, campaign for the for the midterms, we saw Joe Biden go out and endorse some candidates. We saw former presidents Clinton and Obama. I, I thought that uh, Vice President Harris was uh, w- was relatively silent. I, d- I didn't see her out there very much. 
Vice President Harris, I think, is an example of a candidate that definitely can turn people off. You know, I think that we talk when you in political science, sometimes you talk about this idea of the Teflon effect, you know, where, you know, people talk about Bill Clinton having a Teflon effect. He was, you know, had the whole impeachment with, uh, you know, everything that happened there. And yet, you know, he's yeah, he's still out making endorsements and everything else. His wife ran for president. So I don't think Kamala Harris has that, unfortunately. Um, And so I think that the administration is aware of that and aware that endorsement from her might motivate that hardcore base of Democrats, but might not appeal to that middle of the road, which is particularly important in New Hampshire. And uh, just finally, Anna, if Joe Biden, I say if Joe Biden runs again in 2024, could she be replaced as his running mate? Ooh, that's a question that no, as no one has ever asked me before. And, hmm, I don't know. <laughs> I'm ending on this such a thoughtful, indecisive note. I would lean no. I think that if they were sticking with Biden, they'd just stick with the ticket as it is. As it is. Well, Anna Brown, I really appreciate you spending uh, this time with us this morning, the morning after. And uh, thanks for your insight and uh, hope to have you back again real soon. Thanks, Ken. All right. Anna Brown, the Director of Research and Analysis at Citizens Count, citizenscount.org. We'll have more coming up. Kale and Company Live. It's the morning after right here on WKXL and nhtalkradio.com. Stay with us. Kale and Company Live here on WKXL, nhtalkradio.com. Great to have you along with us. 1450 AM, 1039 FM in the Capital Region, 1019 FM in Manchester and well beyond. And we are presented by Northeast Delta Dental. Northeast Delta Dental has individual and family plans designed to fit your lifestyle. You can learn more and find your plan at anydelta.com or Delta Dental Covers Me. Dot com. Something that might have uh, uh, been a little bit under the radar, but uh, uh, certainly notable, is that uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, the former press secretary to uh, President Trump, becomes the first woman to be elected governor in Arkansas. So congratulations to her. And also uh, a lieutenant governor uh, was elected in Arkansas as well, a female lieutenant governor. And it makes it the first time that a state has elected both uh, female governor, uh, governor and lieutenant governor. So the state of Arkansas, a trailblazer in that regard. And uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders uh, following in the footsteps of her father uh, is also a first. So uh, there you go. Uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, the new governor-elect of the Razorback State of Arizona. Uh, But not the red wave that was projected. Uh, Four Senate seats are still up for grabs. Right now, as I'm looking at the the stats come in, uh, the Republicans have 48 Senate seats. The Democrats have 48 Senate seats. It still may be a 50-50 split in the United States Senate. And of course, uh, as a result of that, uh, you know, if there are, if, if it's a 50-50 vote on a, a piece of legislation, the uh, president of the Senate gets the deciding vote, and that would be Kamala Harris. So, 
there you go. It could still be a, a split in the United States Senate, as it was uh, going into Tuesday. But that could change. It could change. Still some races up for grabs. Uh, J.D. Vance uh, won his race in Ohio for Senate, to the surprise of some. He was a Trump-backed uh, candidate that uh, did win. And uh, this, according to uh, CNN, on the day of the 2022 general election, Donald Trump sent a very clear 2024 message to Ron DeSantis, and that message is, stay out of the race or else. Quoting Trump here in an interview with Fox News Digital, Trump said, I would tell you things about him, meaning DeSantis, that won't be very flattering. I know more about him than anybody other than perhaps his wife, according to Trump, who is a Florida resident. He did say Tuesday that he had voted for DeSantis for another term as governor, however. Uh, Trump's rhetoric is the most open threat he has made against DeSantis in recent weeks. At a rally in Pennsylvania over the weekend, uh, Trump referred to DeSantis as Ron D. Sanctimonious. Uh, that nickname came uh, less than a month after Trump called it a big mistake when DeSantis endorsed Colorado Republican Senate nominee Joe O'Day. O'Day had previously uh, told CNN's Dana Bash that he would actively oppose the former president if he ran for the White House in 2024. And it also comes after Trump has repeatedly insisted that DeSantis would be unwise to run against him. Trump told uh, a Yahoo Finance in October, if I faced him, I'd beat him like I would beat everybody else. I think most people would drop out. I think he would drop out. But uh, that, uh, according to CNN, says uh, could be a bit of a, a, a you know, wishful thinking on the part of Trump that everybody is going to just bow to him and uh, fall out of the race. DeSantis appears, uh, he was, uh, he, DeSantis won big time. I mean, it wasn't even close. And to win Dade County uh, like he did over Charlie Crist, his opponent was, uh, was staggering. I mean, it, it really and truly was. Uh, because that uh, Dade County in, in South Florida had belonged to the Democrats for years and years, and both he and Marco Rubio won significant, uh, you know, uh, election. Uh, yes, uh, well, just an amazing uh, result for both uh, DeSantis and Rubio in Dade County in Florida, which is in the southern part of the state again, which had been dominated in the past by Democrats, and they won. Resoundingly, they're resoundingly, the two of them, DeSantis and Marco Rubio in uh, the U.S. Senate. Uh, there are still Senate seats up for grabs. And the closest race right now is in Georgia with uh, 97% reporting. 97% of the votes are in. And Warnock, the incumbent, has a less than 1% lead over former Heisman Trophy winner Herschel Walker. Uh, so a candidate for the U.S. Senate in Georgia has to have at least 50% of the vote. 
Warnock right now, 49.4. Herschel Walker at 48.5. If neither candidate reaches 50%, there will be a runoff election in early December. So we may not know where the balance of power stands in the United States Senate, really, until early December, if neither Warnock nor Walker reaches that 50% vote in the state of Georgia. Four states still up for grabs for Senate seats, Nevada, Georgia, Wisconsin, and Arizona. Still too close to call the biggest Senate races. There's been a delay in Arizona's Maricopa County due to ballot glitches. And uh, additional results are still coming in and probably will until tonight at some point. As we said, Ron DeSantis re-elected in Florida. AOC re-elected in New York. And Christy Nome the governor of South Dakota won in a landslide, another candidate that was backed by Trump. So it's a, you know, it's kind of a split. Those candidates backed by Trump, uh, it, it would appear to be that, you know, some benefited by the endorsement. Others perhaps did not, but it was, but if, you know, was it really the Trump endorsement that, uh, that made the difference one way or the other? Or did, the, the biggest factor in this election turned out to be abortion, as we discussed with Anna Brown. Could well have been. Uh, you know, at most pundits uh, one year ago to this date were predicting the red wave to take place, where the Republicans would have a firm hold on the House of Representatives and the Senate in Washington. But that is not turning out to be the case, and is Donald Trump the biggest factor, or is it abortion? And I would be, you know, I think I think it's abortion. I really do. I, I really and truly do. Uh, J.D. Vance, a Republican that was uh, back, the author of Hillbilly Elegy, a Republican, uh, won the Senate race in Ohio, now, Republican Mike Lee defeated independent uh, Evan McMullen in uh, Utah. And uh, maybe to the surprise of uh, quite a few people, uh, Democrat John Fetterman won over Dr. Oz in Pennsylvania, despite uh, that debate that took, the, took place a couple of weeks ago between uh, John Fetterman and Dr. Oz in Pennsylvania, uh, where John Fetterman... Uh, recovering from a stroke, had difficulty uh, in speaking, and uh, really, uh, you know, said some things that, uh, you know, he probably, you know, under other circumstances uh, would not have said. But uh, despite all that, Fetterman won the election over Dr. Oz, and uh, Democrat Patty Murray took her sixth term in Washington State. But still, uh, it has not been determined 100% that the Republicans will have the majority in the House of Representatives in Washington, D.C., although all the statistics are leaning in that direction. So that would mean 
that Nancy Pelosi would be out as Speaker of the House if the Democrats fail to uh, have the majority in the United States House of Representatives. And Kevin McCarthy, representative from California, uh, would be the new Speaker of the House. But that has yet to be determined, and uh, there could be others that uh, try to uh, unseat McCarthy uh, in the House uh, should the Republicans have the majority. So a lot of things still have to play out, even statewide. We don't know if the Republicans will still have the majority in the New Hampshire House because uh, a lot of uh, districts have still yet to count all of the ballots and report the results. So still things very much up in the air, but uh, we'll have uh, more on that tomorrow as well. We'll have Scott Spradling on tomorrow to analyze and dissect what happened on Tuesday night and early Wednesday morning. Saw Scott last night on WMUR, and he'll be with us uh, tomorrow on Kale and Company to uh, dissect and analyze what has taken place around New Hampshire and around the country. That'll do it for this edition of Kale & Company. Thank you for being with us. We hope you join us again tomorrow. If you missed some of this program with uh, Anna Brown today of Citizens Count, you can hear it tonight right after 7 o'clock here on WKXL and nhtalkradio.com. Make it a great Wednesday, everyone.